What is up, everybody? Welcome to Show Me the Meaning Wisecracks Movie Podcast. Show me the mother box! <laughs> What's going on, everybody? As always, I am Austin Hayden. I am joined with by Raymond. Hey, everybody. How's it going? And specially joining us this week are Rashawn and Josh from the fantastic podcast When Cinephiles Attack. What is going on, gentlemen? What's up? How's it going? Not a whole lot. All right, so Raymond knows you guys. I don't know you. I've never met you before. This will be the first time. So this is what a, an interesting way to get to know somebody is to talk about a four-hour superhero film that is a re-released <laughs> director's cut of a previous two-hour film that was kind of not received so well. So this will be an interesting way to get to know somebody, I think. But Raymond, tell us, how are you connected with these fine fellows? Oh, uh, well, Rashawn and I go way back. Uh, we're friends from uh, the college days, and uh, Rashawn and Josh are friends as well. Uh, we we uh, got to know each other recently, kind of working on projects here and there. Um, but uh, just two uh, two great guys, and uh, their podcast is great. I think I've uh, I've mentioned their podcast before. Uh, it's just, uh, I mean, maybe I should let you guys describe it, but um, I, I I really get a kick out of it. It's uh, the two of you and uh, a couple other co-hosts, but. Uh, uh, I'll I'll let you take it from there. Yeah, give us your spiel. Yeah. Tell sell people on when cinephiles attack. This is the age of ooh. <laughs> <laughs> Go for it, Sean. Yeah, so uh, the four of us are friends from college as well. Uh, Josh and myself, his wife Lacey, and our best friend Mel. Uh, we just like arguing about. Mm-hmm. Movies, <laughs> ah, that, I was going to ask if the title, like yeah, when cinephiles attack. I was wondering why attack. You know, like, yeah. yeah, yeah, it's incredibly more combative than your average film <laughs> breakdown podcast, which is great. Good. Okay. So then an important like question. Push, pushing each other's buttons. Do you, co- do you come down on different sides with regards to the Snyder cut? Is this going to be an inflammatory conversation? Like, am I going to have to serve as a referee here constantly pulling you guys apart? I actually, we, that has yet to be spoken of because the last time we Ooh. recorded, Rashawn had seen it and I hadn't seen it yet. So. Oh. This will be a premiere of my opinion for everybody involved. <laughs> okay, Rashawn, cool. Rashawn doing his due diligence for this podcast. I believe you, you watched eight hours of Snyder Cut, did you not? This was my second viewing. Did yeah. you flip Jeez. over to Justice is Grey just to switch it up a little bit? No. Is that available? It is. I think. Yeah, I think it's streaming now. The black and white. Oh, okay. uh, version of it. I mean, oh, they they just like put tight. it into they put it into yeah. Apple movies and just put a filter on it. And then went, yeah, fucking sit tight. I'll be right back. I'm gonna go watch <laughs> that and then I'll I'll have you know. Listen, they really have to they have to boost movie. their streaming time somehow. Those are the numbers that matter. So however they can get people yeah. to sit on their platform is a win for them. Okay, so for people listening, let's not delay anymore. We're gonna be talking about the 2021. I guess, Justice League. It is the Zack Snyder's Justice League, the Snyder Cut, as it is kind of colloquially termed. Uh, Obviously directed by Zack Snyder, starring everybody. Ben Affleck, Henry Cavill, Amy Adams, Gal Gadot, Ray Fisher, Jason Momoa, Ezra Miller, Willem Dafoe, Jesse Eisenberg, Jeremy Irons, Diane Lane, Connie Nielsen, J.K. Simmons, Kieran Hands, Ryan Jang, Amber Heard, Jared Leto, and there's more, uh, and I didn't get to even all of them there. Um, But this is the sort of director's cut of Joss Whedon's previous release of the Justice League that was not universally loved. I would say it was kind of panned by most. Um, Definitely the people who were expecting it, the DC fans were, superhero fans were very, very disappointed. And so there have been calls for the last four years to release the Snyder cut. And HBO Max finally said, you know what? 
In the age of coronavirus, anything can happen. Let's release the Snyder Cut to all these locked down people who have nothing else to do but watch four hours of superhero action. So let's go around and talk about, I guess we can actually talk about first impressions since Rashawn has now seen the film two times. Or we can talk about what was it like watching the first Justice League compared to this Justice League. Let's start with Rashawn since you seem to be the one who uh, indulged in more screen screen watching time than the rest of us probably. I did. Okay, so I saw the first Justice League, of course, in 2017. <laughs> didn't hate it. Didn't Very love it. careful wording. <laughs> didn't have a, a strong reaction one way or the other coming out of it. I'm a huge fan of Superman, mm. Batman, Wonder Woman, comic-wise, as a kid growing up. It was those those three and X-Men for me. Mm. Um, watched the Snyder Cut once. Watched it twice. I really okay. Respect. Cool. Well, what we'll do is we'll delve into that. I'll write down little notes here to remind myself to ask why you have a sour taste uh, after the last fifteen minutes. Okay, uh, Josh, you're up, brother. What did what did you think about this film? Either the first time you watched it, what was it like watching the first Justice League, and then kind of what are your thoughts now, having let it sit for a little bit? Very careful wording. <laughs> and and there are parts of it. I'm going to be honest. There are parts of it I really really love. I overall as a movie. Four hours, I just felt kind of pummeled into submission. And I came out of it, especially with the last 15 minutes, I come out of it with a pretty sour taste in my mouth. Yeah, the first time I saw it, because I'm a big comic book guy, I grew up with comics, I inherited all my dad's comics growing up, and he was the youngest of seven. So I got generations worth of comic books. I'm a big into all the TV shows and movies. It's sort of my expertise on our podcast. The first time I watched the original Justice League, I was kind of bummed. You could see the nuts and bolts of what was supposed to be there, but you could also see how there were too many cooks in that kitchen. You could see, especially because Joss Whedon had recently done Avengers Age of Ultron, you could see his fingerprints on some things you could see Zack Snyder's fingerprints on other things and it just it was a little messy for me (laughs) (laughs) this one I admittedly watched it like a miniseries I watched it in three installments which I think really helped my viewing that again is that's not saying a lot (laughs) so you respect and it was better those are the key terms that we have here okay (laughs) All right, well, we will delve into what better means on the other side of the synopsis here. Raymond, I know that you are not exactly a huge superhero film fanatic. Sure. So what do you think? As somebody who is a cinephile, who is so well-versed, has an encyclopedic knowledge of film that really understands the technical aspects of film, uh, I'm really curious to hear your take on this. <laughs> well, um, I I can uh, I can third what Rashawn and Josh have said that I th- I think it it clears a pretty low bar based on the theatrical cut because I I I, uh, I watched the theatrical cut on an airplane um, I think I had kind of like the perfect viewing experience for that one which is that I, I was awake for like forty five minutes of it and then I conked out and woke up for like the last fifteen or twenty and I remember thinking like yeah I got it 
That's that's the Justice League. They're doing their thing. And those are the only circumstances under which I could imagine watching that movie, especially hearing all the hubbub and kerfuffle around it. It was one of those things that I think the the allure of the the theatrical cut was the puzzle of it that people wanted to go and like cross their bingo card every time they noticed a CGI mustache removal and uh, yeah. you know it was like that was part of the fun in a way. Um and if you had told me then that uh, there was going to be a four-hour version of this eventually uh, that essentially amounts to an IMAX formatted work print that is going to be released in my house, uh, I would have told you you couldn't pay me to watch that. And then uh, Wisecrack stepped up and said, challenge accepted. <laughs> uh, so <laughs> here I am. Uh, even allowing for that... Similar to what Josh did, I broke it down into a mini-series. I planned on doing, like, one chapter per night, because I heard that there were uh, seven chapters. And um, after my second night of that, I thought to myself, I don't fucking have five more nights of this in me. Um, and I just quit. I went cold turkey. Uh, I texted our good friend Evan, who is uh, also a Wisecrack producer. I said, hey, do you think I will get fired if I just don't watch this <laughs> movie and try to pretend that I did for the whole time? Um, but I, uh, I eventually shook that off. I take my duties, uh, my duties on the show very responsible, uh, very, very seriously, very responsibly. And, um, uh, I watched the rest of it and it's, uh, it, it, boy, oh boy, is, uh, speaking of Joss Whedon, much ado about nothing with this picture here. I can't imagine spending four years of my life baying for this thing, uh, and then getting what is essentially like just a, I mean... It's just a average superhero movie. It's got, I mean, it, it hits all the beats you expect. You brought up Age of Ultron, Josh. Josh, I, I think that this is, Josh, um, I think that this is right, right there with the Age of Ultrons of the world. And, you know, it's, I'm, it's, it's a superhero movie. It's, it's whatever, you know, now with more super, like what, whatever. I, it, it just, I guess I guess my big takeaway from it, because like Rashawn said, there was some stuff that I actually liked about it. There were some notable departures from the tone and approach of a Joss Whedon. But I think the thing that really knocked me out in chapter two was just kind of like, it kind of had that Star Wars prequel energy where I was like, yeah, but this, this movie's still for kids and families, right? Because it's, mm. it's just a bunch of people kind of <laughs> talking about stuff and there's no there's not a whole lot of action in the first two the first two bits and uh not that it has to be all action all the time but it just i come away from this feeling like this was made for 300,000 people or 100,000 people or 30,000 people and 70,000 bots or whatever it was on Twitter that were were talking about it for so long cuz i i mean it is a market improvement on the Joss Whedon cut but i just I, I just still think it's uh, it is what it is. I, I don't know. Yeah. Well, I mean, what can you really say about uh, something that you didn't really love, right? You kind of just get to a point where you're like, meh. Um, I look. People who listen to this podcast know that I am not the target audience for this type of film. This isn't my vibe. This is why it's great to have Rashawn and Josh on because they can fill in a lot of the gaps in my knowledge. And two, they can probably maybe be a little bit more sympathetic to the entire genre. Whereas I tend to be a little bit less enamored by most of these. I think that superhero films can be really good, can be really fun. They can be really well made. Um, I just think that more often than not, for me, they don't quite hit the mark, right? 
people probably understand that. I'm a freaking professional philosopher. Like, come on, man. Like, I give me the depth, man. Give me wings of desire rather than freaking Age of Ultron. Of course, wings, I, cross off wings of desire on your bingo card. Show me the meaningless. <laughs> yeah, come on, man. I mean, give me that. But at the same time, I also love certain superhero films. I mean, I love the Dark Knight trilogy. Um, I, I, I love, uh, the original, no, I don't mean the original, but like the, the Tobey Maguire of first Spider-Man. Um, you know, I think that there are some really well-made superhero films that are out there. And even the ones that I don't think are amazing, um, are still interesting. Black Panther, I don't think it was amazing, but I really enjoyed it. Even the first Wonder Woman, uh, with Gal Gadot, I really enjoyed. Um, so I, I definitely can vibe with them. But I kind of went into this one with a little bit of a sour taste in my mouth because I did not enjoy the first Justice League in 2017. And I was, I was just thinking to myself, what is a four-hour version that's got a little bit more grayscale going to do to enhance that for me? And um, look, I, I don't know that the film is really all that different in terms of substance. I think there's a lot of aesthetic differences. And I think that the, the details that people are excited about for me are kind of like, okay, I, I, I see the, de- the detail. I mean, Wisecrack made a little video on what went right, with it, which I thought was really interesting, talking about the difference between sort of um, kind of like the problem and the solution that's set up with character arcs and things like that. And so you get that with Barry and um, you have that with a couple of the others with Victor. And so I think that those things will enhance the story from just a simple dramatic narrative sense. But in terms of creating a, a piece of cinema, um, it just it isn't my favorite thing in the entire world. But here's the thing. I still think that I'm glad that it exists because maybe maybe this is what Rashawn means by respect, respecting the film. It's a freaking triumphalist effort to make a film like this at this scale. And even if I don't love the use of this form of special effects, and even if I don't love the over-the-top individualistic dialogue about like overcoming odds and things like that, that fits with Zack Snyder. That's who Zack Snyder is. He's a Randian, so of course he's going to kind of use that type of language. I mean, he's supposed to be directing the freaking Fountainhead. I mean, I don't know if it's ever going to happen, but <laughs> so that's that's in his that's long that's in his gestation. Whole sh- yeah, that's his whole well, shtick. So I, I'm curious I, I, too, Austin, from a philosopher's yeah. perspective, that removed from the movie, thinking of the production overall, or not necessarily just the production, but the theatrical release, the the uh, the the re-release now with is there something from the Hegelian perspective that you want to <laughs> dig into with this movie? Because I don't know if I don't know if we've reached synthesis with this quite yet. There uh, is like there is one like I said, it, it's a work print. Like this is still not a finished movie. This is if they had released this to theaters, it wouldn't be four hours long. Mm-mm. Like yeah. there's still I, I think that there's probably a really good two and a half hour three movie lock three hour movie that's locked in there somewhere, but I'm I'm not quite sure. Well, let's talk about that on the other side of the brief synopsis that we're going to quickly give. And then we can really start peeling back the layers and delve into this a little bit. So we're just going to give a little synopsis. I mean, I'm sure people kind of get the idea, right? Um, But this is the, the basic plot of this particular cut of Justice League. So after Superman's death... The Mother Boxes, which will form a unity and terraform Earth like the world apocalypse, is reactivated. So Steppenwolf, bad guy, seeks to regain favor from his boss, Darkseid, by gathering the boxes and initiating the apocalypse, notice the play on words, on Earth. This causes Bruce Wayne to bring the band together to stop Steppenwolf and Darkseid. Uh, Bruce tracks down Aquaman, Flash, 
and Diana, aka Wonder Woman, recruits Victor Stone, aka Cyborg. But Aquaman and Victor are hesitant at first until some personal stuff happens to each of them that brings them into the battle, so they join up. But there's one piece that's missing, Superman. They have to be six, right? So the gang need to use one of the boxes, which are basically like change machines, so that they can bring Superman back to life. They do this, but it takes them a little trip home to the cornfields to get Clark feeling like the Man of Steel once again. But he eventually does, and then the League of Six are fully formed. At this time, there's a battle that's going on, and Superman arrives a little bit late into this ongoing fray, and he overpowers Steppenwolf, but he's too late to stop the boxes from merging. Barry then realizes, however, that he can reverse time if he just does his Flash thing. Even though he's injured, he reverses time by running super, super, super fast so that the team can get another shot. Superman and Victor then, on take two, separate the boxes, and the team kill Steppenwolf, but Darkseid guarantees that although the battle may have been lost, the war is far from over. After the battle, the team decide to set up operations at Wayne Manor, and things go back to basic normal for each of the individuals. But Lex Luthor reveals to Slade Wilson at the end who Batman really is, and of course, meanwhile, Bruce is then visited by Martian Manhunter, who pops up a couple times throughout the film, who thanks Bruce for assembling the team and warns him that the job is far from over. But before we continue, I gotta give a shout out to our sponsor at Storyblocks. Storyblocks provides an unlimited library of over a million plus royalty-free, high-quality video, audio, and images through cost-effective subscription plans. I personally use it for all of my video editing on my YouTube channel, so you know what you're getting. You get awesome clips, you get awesome images, cartoons, and sounds, and all kinds of things that you can use in Premiere or in Final Cut or that you can use in After Effects. And because you get unlimited downloads, you never run out of content from which to source so you can make your rad content for whatever project that you're trying to make. Please go to storyblocks.com wisecrack or click the link in the show notes so you can take advantage of the benefits. So that's again, go to storyblocks.com wisecrack or you can click a link down in the show notes so you can get access to all the rad content from Storyblocks and you can start making your cool content. Okay, back to the show. So... That's the basic plot. There's a lot going on. It's a four-hour four hour movie. Um, so there's a lot of little details that are different from the first film to this one. Let's first talk about that stuff. What did go right in this film, right? What did they get right in kind of making the adjustments they got? Josh, what do you think, brother? I think a big thing was specifically Cyborg's story, but also The Flash, mm. I think anything that had to do with Cyborg and the Flash was handled fantastically. Um, and the action set pieces were great because it's Zack Snyder. I mean, he handled 300. He knows, he knows, especially even if it's CGI, in my opinion, he knows how to make a fight, a superhero fight, flashy and fun to look at. Mm. Um, but I think a big thing I tried to remind myself when I was watching the first time around when it originally came out and now is that when this movie came out, it was, DC was kind of in a race against Marvel or a self-imposed race. They wanted to catch up to Marvel. Catch up a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. So instead of having all these origin stories like Thor, Iron Man, Captain America, Guardians of the Galaxy, they tried to cram four different origin stories into one (laughs) and it, and it, it, it floundered because of it. And I think granted now it's four hours. So they were given a little extra time to flesh things out, but I think it worked really well. I cared about Cyborg and the Flash way more than I did in the original time. Um, and I think it, I don't know the answer. If you were to ask, how would you 
what would you trim? Because I think Raven, I think you're right. There is there's a there's a movie in there that I think is ultimately good if you cut it down to two and a half three hours but that's not my job i'm not an editor and i don't know what you would cut <laughs> because there's a lot of or did you did you watch it in chapters or did you watch it all in one sitting i can't remember what you i said. watched in like three sittings i watched three a couple sittings. chapters okay. at a time yeah do you think it would have been something they could have done or it would have been interesting if they had released it as a sort of mini series you know like seven yeah. 45 minute episodes or something like I've- that I think in a way they kind I mean that that's kind of how it feels is that they know because this is going to be a, a streaming audience you can start stop at your own leisure. I, I mentioned to Rashawn <laughs> when we were kind of talking about it off mic that uh, th- this is sort of similar in a way to the uh, Tarantino's Hateful Eight miniseries that he released on Netflix where it's like there's not well granted th- there is way much more uh, footage in the ju- in Snyder's Justice League than there was in the theatrical cut. But as for the the Hateful Eight recut, it's not terribly different. It's, you know, the same structure, essentially the same pace, just moments breathe a little bit more. Um, and he's just kind of inserted a pause button every 45 or 50 minutes for you. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I, I mean, I, I could I could see that. I could also see there's a point halfway through the movie where... Uh, what's his name? Steppenwolf. After there's a big action sequence where the Justice League finally comes together and Aquaman holds back, he holds back the water and all that. And then after that big sequence, uh, when they're still kind of on their back foot, there's a scene where Steppenwolf discovers that the um, whatever that big design is on the ground, it's like uh, the anti-life the, the, equation. Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. Um, <laughs> he he swings his little acts down and he reveals the anti-life equation and uh that to me is like okay cut to black and then do justice league part two six months from now if you had released this in theater like you you could do kind of um you know infinity war thing where there's uh, they're you know they're they're breaking up the story or delaying the gratification or whatever and there's so many scenes like that that feel sort of primed to i mean they do in this cut of it they end a chapter it's you know this is the like sending us into the this is what will propel us into the next bit of the story um and i do feel like you could have you could have re-edited and repositioned some of these beats and come out with two hour and a half long movies and i i think it probably would have been uh you know i think that would have been manageable for audiences yeah. What do you think, Rashawn? Do you agree that the kind of cyborg and Flash characters in the way that their backstory is developed, does that add a lot for this new one? I, I, it's so hard to say because, to me anyways, because we've seen what quote unquote didn't work four years ago. <laughs> and so it, and so we're watching a fix, which I know in reality it was the other way around. This is what Snyder envisioned and... They kind of chopped it up, but I can't help but feel, I think Ray said, it's like a catch up. Like we have to introduce these three Mm -hmm. new characters. We have to introduce a big bad who is also serving a greater big bad. And then the plot doesn't really kick in until I don't think Superman shows up until like chapter four, end of four, beginning of five. He's yeah. He's not in it until the second. Yeah. So I, I, I love, um, Flash's introduction when he he has the application at the pet store like it's it's cute it's fun it's very unique to anybody else in the in the movie and I love you know 
Victor's whole flat backstory with the football game and the car crash. Like it, it all feels good, but I don't know if it works with the movie. It, it's just there because it helps, but I don't know if that whole thing mm. is, is serves the movie that we're watching, or is it just to inform these people that are in the movie? That makes no sense at all, but I just said it. <laughs> oh, no, I kind of get it. But Cyborg is, it, it, he was one of the surprises for me with this movie. I, I commented to you, Rashawn, when we were on the phone the other day, that it's like, it's his movie in a weird way. Like this, I could see him being the one character that gets this movie as his introduction film. Maybe he's teased in some other movies or something like that. But this is, he's essentially the only one with like a big emotional arc in this film. So I i do i do think that if they had, I'm not a huge fan of superhero movies in general, but I do kind of respect the patience that Marvel had putting all the pieces in place. And they took, you know, 20 movies to tease out Thanos and uh, you know, I maybe still have some issues with the dramatic structure of those movies on an individual level, but they knew what they were doing. They were playing a long game. Mm. And I think that that is instructive when you, especially when you look at DC now, where it seems they're kind of, ever since this movie came out in theaters, they've kind of been in this sort of scrambling mode where they're trying to find their footing and they keep on trying new things, and now they're establishing all these little pockets of continuity with Joker and the Batman and Birds of Prey, and now there's a new Suicide Squad that's sharing the some cast with the old squad. Suicide Squad. Yeah, it's just, I mean, at this point, it's like all the all the time that you would have had to spend to set up a Justice League movie, they're having to spend now because people rejected Justice League when it first came out into theaters. Yeah. So. There's, I don't know. It's it is kind of an interesting on a on a business something. level. Let, let me ask you this: Who do you think this film is for? So, like the the part of the reason the Marvel films are so successful is they're like these perfect four quadrant films, and uh, they kind of appeal to everybody. And the stories are simple enough to follow, but they're also beloved characters, and there's some like personal struggles and things like that that are brought into it. This one, there was an f bomb that was dropped, and I actually I don't remember who said it, but I was like, whoa. There's two. I was like, whoa. There's two. Yeah. A friggin' F-bomb got dropped. And I was like, okay, so this film clearly isn't for seven-year-olds, right? Um, I don't know what it would be rated if it were in the theaters. I mean, would it be rated R? Like, Yeah, well, with, keep... with the introduction of a second F-bomb, it has to be. So Right. Yeah. So, okay, so it's rated So it's rated R. So is this like them trying to do, like, Deadpool was really popular because it was a rated R comic book superhero film. And it made boatloads of money. Is this like Zack? Because I also saw Zack Snyder get into a fight with somebody on Twitter. And he was basically like, this is a freaking a, a film for adults. So stop being a crybaby sort of thing. So who are these adults that this film is for? Is it just, is it just like, and I don't mean this in a derogatory sense, but is it just fanboys who were mad at this, at the Joss Whedon cut? Is that what this film is for? Or is this something that is, because if it's trying to compete with Marvel, then it, it, it's supposed to be a four-quadrant film. And so I'm kind of just confused as to what this film is, you know? I I think, speaking from sort of someone who's ingested the Marvel and DC media for as long as I can remember, DC has had this sort of almost, again, self-imposed mantra that it's, the, it's darker. It's just because yeah. Batman lives in the shadows and like all this, it's got to be darker. And Marvel is this sort of maybe more bubblegum kind of 
But Superman is of the sun. I don't understand right. that. <laughs> like same, like with Man of Steel. Like it's Superman. He's he's sort of this ideal. He's standing on the skyscraper with his hands on his hips in front of the sun. Like it doesn't yeah. have to be dark, but it's somehow pop culture and and public perception has sort of morphed DC into this this lockstep of having to be dark a lot, which yeah I don't think is correct, but. You know what it feels like? Mm. I, when I was little, I had this huge, like, bat mansion. It was like Wayne Manor, and it opened up, and it was the bat cave underneath, and it came with action figures, and I would have my friends over, and I would play, and everyone that loves comic book movies or superheroes, they have their action figures, and they play their action figures how they think it should go. And so every time someone I know where this is going. <laughs> so every time someone gets to adapt a comic book movie, they kind of funnel it through their vision of what they think these heroes are supposed to be doing. So it's like, you know, this is how I think Batman would act and I'm going to push Batman off my bed and Wonder Woman's doing all this, but then you play with someone else and they're like, "No, I never Batman doesn't do that. Batman is is you know, he's a detective, he's smart, he doesn't hurt people. Superman's truth, justice, the American way. And you kind of get that clash where you're like, no, I don't, that's not my interpretation. And I think this is a very expensive vindication of Snyder's vision. This is how he sees Batman, Superman, and Wonder Woman. This is not how I play with my Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman, <laughs> but, <laughs> but this is the vision that he was given the chance to do, and that was taken yeah. from him, and now he's getting to right that wrong. And I, I also don't want to lay it just at Zack Snyder's feet, because I, I'm pretty sure, I think Christopher Nolan was a producer on Man of Steel. I know it's a sync copy production. Um, and drafting off the success of the Dark Knight trilogy... I mean, that seemed like the that was the stock in trade that people wanted mm-hmm. stuff to be, you know, gritty and grounded and real. However, you quantify those things. I think for the folks over at Warner Media, the idea was, oh, make it look like Nolan. But I think there is there's something to be said about those Nolan movies that like they're dark because they're about Batman, and he he is, you know, I I am not personally crazy about how a lot of the Marvel movies kind of just look samey, but it does elide those issues when you get into the team-up movies, which is you don't have to balance the tone of, like, you know, the uh, Batman, who's this really dark, brooding character, and Superman, who is, as you say, of the sun. But I think that there is there is a balance you could find where, uh, I don't know if y'all have seen this, there's that video online of, uh, I think it's called What If Man of Steel Were in Color? And it's just... Uh, it's just a retimed video showing side-by-side footage of what Man of Steel would look like if they hadn't color-corrected it away from, uh, at least as much away from what they shot. Because if you see behind-the-scenes photos and footage, Henry Cavill's suit is, it's bright blue and red, and, you know, it's it looks like Superman. And I think even something as small as that, if you took this movie and retimed it, and, and just livened it up a bit and just made the colors pop a little bit more, it wouldn't feel so dour. And it wouldn't, you know, like you could still deal with some of that heavy stuff that, I, I mean, there's not a whole lot separating Darkseid from Thanos as far as what their goals are. They, they want to destroy the universe or they want to destroy this planet. Whatever the issue is, like 
you can still deal with that dark stuff, but but giving a more recognizable and I, I mean, I hate to say it, but like family friendly veneer to the whole affair may make the pill a little bit easier to swallow. Every time you Yeah, that's what I'm wondering, because I think it, yeah, go ahead. Every I'm time sorry. you give Marvel credit, Josh's smile just gets bigger and bigger. <laughs> I give him such a hard time for Marvel. Just, oh, ammo yeah. for our next episode. Are you two Marvel versus DC? Like Josh Marvel, Rashawn DC? Is that I feel like Josh just holds all the comic book and I'm just like snap, smacking it out of his hand every episode. <laughs> so, but yeah, he. I mean, I guess you're the Marvel guy, Josh, and I. I'm very much Batman, Superman. Yeah. Okay, let's let's speak to the comic book fan. Then, what does this film do right in terms of adaptation? So, Rashawn was talking about how this is Zack Snyder playing with his superhero figures in <laughs> with his little Batcave with his friends, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Uh, how does he do at playing with his superhero figures in in relation to the comic books? Is that a faithful adaptation? Are our comic book fans going to be upset? Or what is the buzz like online? Are they kind of like, okay, yeah, no, we're cool with it? I think they're I think really that ha- I think they're really happy with it. Um, I'm not. But are they? But... Yeah, are, this is what I wonder. Are they happy? Are they happy in a vacuum? Like they're happy because they like it, or are they happy because they're like, fuck, thank God it rescued that that train wreck of the Whedon film i think it's that Mm -hmm. one i think yeah that's what i wonder i think a lot of times unless you divert so much because comics are also kind of like the action figure analogy you can get a comic writer that'll have batman for example uh break the spine of four dudes who just mugged an old lady but then another (laughs) another author will talk take 10 panels to talk about how batman does not uh kill or mortally break wound. Spines. Yeah, <laughs> break spines. <laughs> so I, I think I think ultimately you need to be in the direction of the character as sort of globally accepted, but then it's about consistency. And I think for better or for worse, like Raymond said, Marvel is consistent. And I think it's they have this sort of overarching hand of Kevin Feige on everything. And he yeah. sort of he sort of steers the ship no matter what. And whether or not that's detrimental to the sort of film aspect of it the the cinema aspect of it can can be debated but but that lends the consistency that a lot of comic book fans want you want you just want consistency in the character whether it's whether it's oh this is like the batman from the new 52 or this is like the batman from xyz universe as long Mm. as it's one of them consistently that's what's important i think so it's like the McDonald's and Starbucks of filmmaking. No matter where you go in the world, you know right. that McDonald's and Starbucks is going to taste the same because right. they've got the kind of corporate structure overseeing it. And Marvel is kind of like that. Yeah. One yeah. thing I do, you, I do want to oh, give go ahead, Josh. this movie props for, though, is how they handled the Flash's speed. I think him corking out of his shoes was a great touch. I think that was cool. Just the was the cool. smallest explanation yeah, yeah. of his suit is great. And one thing I read online... The way why Ezra Miller runs kind of funky is he's imitating a speed skater because there there was a, a long I kind of noticed that yeah there's a yeah. long conversation when we, were, when we were watching it we were like is he doing like a speed skating <laughs> yeah. thing but that's yeah that's perfect because Zack Snyder kind of had this conversation where if he pounds the ground like a sprinter he's gonna leave a dent everywhere he goes so he sort of glides instead oh, of pounds the clever. dirt which yeah that how they handled the flash powers to detail. yeah. Exactly. Like you need mm. as a comic book fan, you need to see that the creator cares. Honestly, uh, is what it comes down to. 
I, I will also say to to say some nice things about the film that we've kind of been deriding a little <laughs> bit. I after however many times they've done Quicksilver in the X Men films, it is kind of neat to see a different take on the super speed thing as it's rendered in this film. It's not the you know th- those scenes are fun where he plugs in his earbuds and then goes around and does all the little goofs and gags. Um, but I kind of I kind of like the way that the the flash is realized in this how it is it is quite literally just a flash and they play a lot of his action in real time where you just see the sort of environmental mm. reaction to what he is doing I I think that's well conceived yeah when I had heard mm. there was what like 10 minutes of slow-mo in this movie or something there's some crazy amount of slow motion used in this movie. I had just assumed it was. You figured be, it was all flash. Yeah. I was all flash, but it wasn't. Like Lois Lane's first scene, she sets her coffee cup down in slow motion. And then is half that so of they can make stuff. sure that they see Zack Snyder, though, yeah. in the background? Is that why the cameo, they, they, yeah. they want to elongate his screen time? No, I'm kidding. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's like, there's, there's uh, shell casings rattling off the walls for minutes in this. <laughs> it's like. Okay, so then, okay, let's, we have been, we have been a little bit critical of this film. Let's talk about some of, like, the kind of more, not just the the elements of the Flash that we like, but let's talk about the filmmaking proficiency here. I, I'm a big fan of 300. I actually like Watchmen. Um, I like the aesthetic of Sucker Punch, um, even if I don't necessarily like the story of it. Um, I, I like what he does because I think it's weird, and I think it's unique, and I think it's different. But I think it fits better for some reason 300, I feel like, is like the perfect cocktail of how it fits because there's the surrealist elements, but for some reason it's a bit more grounded. Whereas I feel like this film gets a little bit lost in the supernatural stuff. Like even Batman moves with a non-human speed. Like, can you explain this to me? Does his suit somehow make him move faster or like... Is he just, like, supposed to, because he works out so much, he's just faster than average dudes are? But, like, he his reflexes fighting with these people that have supernatural powers matches them. And that, to me, was, I don't know, that was unbelievable a little bit. And then that kind of made me feel like it was just a little bit too heightened. Whereas, but then I'm kind of like, am I being contradictory? Because I like the heightened aspect of 300, and those guys are obviously doing stuff that isn't, quote, natural. It just, I don't know, it just felt like a little bit inconsistent, whereas 300 to me felt like a consistent um, a consistent aesthetic, but also like the people's abilities were consistent throughout. Whereas this one kind of felt like it didn't quite fit, and then maybe it was a little over the top. I, I, does that kind of make sense, what I'm getting at? Yeah. To me, I think I agree with you, because I think the beauty of characters, at least, again, maybe in the comics or in other other adaptations, is someone like Batman or on the Marvel side, someone like Black Widow or Hawkeye is, is a good is a good bar. It shows us this is what a human maxes out as, and these are their teammates. This is Wonder Woman, <laughs> this is Superman. Yeah, yeah. But when when the human starts to sort of ascend that bar, it, it muddies the water a little bit, I think. Yeah, they kinda have to they kinda have to stretch with giving Batman the gauntlets so he can take Superman's, you know, X rays and it's just it's stretching to make sure that they all fit in to this one, this really cool fight scene where they all take on Superman. When in reality, you know, Superman would just be like, get out of here, you know? (laughs) And I was, I was actually just going to ask that because I, uh, I, by my own admission have not read a whole bunch of comic books, but it seems like in this movie, Batman has kind of maybe some augmentations in the suit. He's also like 
an older Batman. Like, this isn't the same, you know, ninja-trained Batman that, that uh, Christian Bale was playing. Like, is there... Is that in the comic books at all? Does he have like kind of a an exoskeleton that he could use to fight Superman or to fight similar super powered beings or anything like that? I mean, in theory, yeah. Batman's whole appeal is that he's a human who solves things with his brain and his wallet. And so kind of in theory, yes, I'm sure he has before. You know, the whole thing is Batman's got a plan to defeat everyone he meets, foe and ally alike. Like he's got a a kryptonite gun and stuff to take out wonder woman whatever so like in theory yes but usually you'd see you'd see the making of it or you'd see the planning and we did at least mm. get the the brief jeremy irons sort of exposition of his gauntlets but you'd get a little more of the reasoning instead of just oh he's got an exoscoot now great <laughs> yeah i will say one of the things that i like about batman in this because to some degree or another the script does recognize that he's outmatched a little bit they position him as kind of the like Nick Fury of this world. He is a facilitator. He's the you know he eventually has he becomes like the team's cheerleader in a way that like I've got hope for the first time in my life or whatever the hell it is. Um, and uh, I do kind of like that take on him. And I know this is probably heresy for Batman fans, but I also like the the approach that Snyder has to Batman, which is that he's just a psycho with a gun. <laughs> like I I do like that they do because there there are so many so many comics that are uh, I don't know about comics, but there's so many Batman movies that paint this guy whose entire ethos is just like dressing up like a dickhead and beating the shit out of mentally ill people like he's um he's some great guardian or savior or he's a hero to be lauded when in reality like no he's a fucking psychopath like i really i genuinely do like that this movie he's just rattling around with two gatling guns on the front of his uh on the front of his tank and he's just obliterating people like that is very funny to me but i think within that kind of gets lost in this movie because Zack Snyder's Superman is also that same fucking guy who will just like tear out with his laser eyes and and absolutely vaporize people. Uh Wonder Woman is the same case where like she can move faster than fucking bullets, but as soon as you know one guy is left in that uh it, on that field trip or whatever she was saving people from the bomb at uh, she has to do her little bangle clang and and turn him into pink mist like right in front of a bunch of kids and it's just it's just one of those things where I'm like yeah I don't I don't 100 know if I, I think some people might say that like Zack Snyder doesn't understand these characters but there's a part of me that thinks like eh, they're pretty easy to grasp like children can appreciate these comic books I'm I'm fairly certain that Zack Snyder just doesn't really give a shit and like Rashawn said this is how he plays with his action figures yeah I I do to talk about things we like. Anything Wonder Woman related, I'm I'm all about. Um, I wish there was a movie just on the mascara. I I think across the three or four movies that she's been in, they just nail that aesthetic. I love everything about cinematically. I love everything about Wonder Woman, and I think Gal Gadot is just just great. Um, there's parts of the movie where I feel like she doesn't fit because she's so. You know, we spent the first Wonder Woman movie talking about how good she is, how pure and and how earnest, how earnest. Yeah. Yeah. yeah she's she's virtue yeah you know and this movie kind of devolves into like a, a punch them up you know just beat them yeah it felt it felt a little cheesy at times like when she's when she's trying to help kal when he first comes back and it was 
you could tell her sweetness, naivete, and her earnestness to try to connect. But for some reason, it just, the cheese factor came over so heavy there because it just didn't quite fit tonally, which also for me is part of the problem with some of the comic relief with Barry. I felt like, I felt like, uh, Wonder Woman and Barry to me felt a little bit like they were trying to inject some levity or maybe trying to inject some of that like earnestness that Rashawn was talking about. But for some reason, it didn't fit with like the broodiness of Bruce Wayne and um, the, well, I guess the broodiness of Aquaman and the grumpiness and surliness of Bruce Wayne. Like it just, for some reason, it, it, it felt kind of inconsistent and that kind of threw me out. And just to kind of throw it back to you, Rashawn, just so I can, you know, uh, be a cinephile that attacks. Um, whenever freaking <laughs> yeah. Wonder Woman, whenever Wonder Woman showed up and they played that Amazon music, I laughed because I thought it was ridiculous. Oh, give it to me. And whenever she did anything, time, like man. she did like a flip I was like, oh my God. I literally, I was actually, I was walking around. I, I had my laptop set up on, I'm staying in this farmhouse, right? And I'm watching in the kitchen as I'm cooking dinner. And I turned my back for a second and I heard the music and I turned around and I was like, oh my God, again, that kind of like Amazon music comes yeah. in and, and there's Gal Gadot doing her thing. But yeah, but so I know I said that we were going to talk about things that we like. And then of course, here I am being critical again. So Rashawn, please keep talking about other things that you like. But that was kind of my problems with the whole Wonder Woman kind of thing. You know what I mean? No, yeah, I get that. I, I'm a sucker for cheese. So I mean, I'll never turn down <laughs> cheese. And it is like the Hans Zimmer and the Junkie XL score just kind of like pummels you in the ear. And I'm like, yep, she's here. She's about to do some shit. And I love it. Yeah. Um, I think her score, her theme, Superman's theme is just incredible. And anytime he uses those, it's, it's, I don't want to call it cheap, but it's, it works. You put the, you put Man of Steel theme or Wonder Woman's theme in and I'm hooked and it, it's very. So did you, did you love Wonder Woman 1984? Oh, I did not. I went, I went, I went no. off on Josh a little bit, but, but the first scene in the mall is so cheesy, like I said, in the 80s and the wink to the little girl. That's what I was wondering, yeah. I eat it up. I love it. Give me give me more of yeah, that forever. I, I I brought that up on our on our Wonder Woman episode, yeah. Yeah, that's exactly what Raymond said. But even the theme of her like communicating with people and trying to bring them together sort of thing. I mean, the cheese factor was heavy. It got me by the end. Yeah. I wasn't into the film and then by the end I got a little misty-eyed. I was like, "Oh, this is kind of, you know, <laughs> in this in this movie, the little girl on the field trip doesn't get a wink. She gets to watch a dude get annihilated, <laughs> just like completely atomized. And then when she says to Wonder Woman, can I do that too one day? Wonder yeah. Woman says, yeah, sure. Fuck it. You don't have to be born on the fucking magic island and be a god. You Like, uh, you know, honestly, no, you can't do that. And you shouldn't want to because that person had a family. And like now he's uh, a bunch of pink goo on the walls. Okay, so let me let me ask real quick, Rashawn. You said that you respect this film. Why do you respect this? You wrote film? that down, huh? Um, uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> I do. I respect it. It it goes back to the sandbox thing. You know, if I had, I don't know how many millions they had, but if I had that to go make an X Men movie, would it be good? I don't know, but it would be perfect to me. You know, and and I think that these characters and what Snyder was trying to do are probably really perfect to him. And I think he's probably pretty proud of it. I don't like a lot of it, but I respect the fact that he got to make 
his Superman, his Batman, and it's four hours long. It's over the top. It, it's excess and extreme. But I respect the fact that this one guy got to make his superhero movie. And everyone's making superhero movies now. But I think the fact that he executed his vision, for better or worse, I, I, that's what I respect about it. I I will tag that. Um, there is, I think, a degree to which, because Marvel is so steering the ship with not just superhero films, but a lot of blockbuster cinema in general. I mean, speaking of HBO Max, Godzilla vs. Kong just came out, which in itself exists in its own kind of uh, shared universe. Everyone's trying to launch these shared universes. They, they tried to do a King Arthur universe. There was a, a Robin Hood universe gestating at Sony for a decade. Like... Because Marvel is steering the ship, I think there there is a degree to which a lot of blockbuster movies, whether it's Fast and the Furious or DC or Marvel or Jurassic World or whatever, they all just kind of feel a little bit samey. And kind of, I'm a big Godzilla and King Kong fan, so I was getting excited about the new one coming out. And uh, I love Adam, Adam Wingard, the, the director behind it. And uh, I started rewatching some some odd Godzilla and Kong films from uh, through the years. And when I turned on Peter Jackson's King Kong from 2005, which uh, if if this movie is indulgent, I, I think that one also qualifies as indulgent. Um, it is 100% his passion project. He talks about how the first thing he did when he got an eight millimeter camera as a kid was try to remake King Kong. Like that was the movie he wanted to make his entire life. So I understand why it means so much to him and why it does come off as a bit indulgent because he just wanted to cram every idea he had from the past, you know, 40 or 50 years of his life into that one movie. And he was only going to get one chance to do it. That said, indulgent though it may be, you feel how personal it is. You, you feel the earnestness and for a big budget blockbuster, it it seems so much more, it it just seems so much more personal than a lot of contemporary blockbusters do, and I I kind of miss that vibe. And for better or worse, I kind of felt it a little bit with this one, with with Zack Snyder's Justice League. I mean, this this if not a great movie, still seems like an antidote to samey superhero blockbusterism. And there are things that he does in this that I, I think are pretty impressive. Like there, there is, if not impressive, I, I at least appreciate the earnestness. At, at the beginning, um, there's the scene where Bruce goes to wrangle Aquaman. And I remember from the theatrical cut before I fell asleep, Bruce <laughs> says to Aquaman, like, uh, hey, aren't you concerned uh, about like the world ending or whatever and Aquaman goes hey I live in the ocean I don't give a fuck if they rise and then he like dives into the water and <laughs> and then it slowly like zooms in on Bruce and he goes yeah but what if they boil and then it's like cut to whatever hmm. but like Aquaman as a character is someone who I think would be in touch with the notion of the world as being one delicate ecosystem and I'm pretty sure he's aware of like ocean acidification being a problem regardless of how high the water <laughs> levels are and in this movie you don't get that at first instead you get like a, an Icelandic choir that comes to the to the bank and sings him into the water and there is this like I know that 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 
moment may be cringe-inducing for some people, but it's a new flavor in the superhero genre for me. This, this like, treating these characters as gods and framing them as gods. That he, mm. he delivers food to these people in the winter and, like, they do cherish his, his relationship with them and his benevolence uh, so much so that they... they they don't know who or what they are appeasing by singing that song, but they're taking their like their best fucking effort at it to make sure that whatever whatever they did to to make him or, or to win his favor that that's not going to end. And I I kind of love that. I I really mm. do appreciate that earnestness. But then I think that's undercut like an hour later when Aquaman is having another conversation in the same little village and he like takes a whiskey bottle, chugs it and then like smashes it into the ocean and tears off his ratty shirt and throws it out there for a turtle to choke on. And then he just dives in and fucks off. And there is a part of me where I'm like, okay, I, I understand some of like what he's bringing to this as, as a filmmaker and, and his own personal vision. But I don't know how much of that is, genuine vision and how much of it is uh like josh said i think he has a good eye he, he he's he's really good at making those big iconic images you know like some some of that stuff in 300 and watchmen sort of like watchmen kind of helped codify a lot of the superhero vernacular with the people doing those sort of like power landings and things like mm. that and 300 launched an entire subgenre of movies that were shot in front of green screens and then they just figure it out later and none of them work except for 300 like i think that Zack snyder is a pretty good visual filmmaker but i just think that sometimes the visual vocabulary is at odds with the storytelling and if those two things could be reconciled it's like i asked you at the beginning of the podcast austin like if if we could find the synthesis of of Zack Snyder's vision and something that is a little bit more thematically coherent, I think it'd be a very special movie. Yeah. It's, so before we get into that, um, I just want to give a quick maybe defense to Aquaman. How do you know <laughs> that his shirt is not made from kelp? Mm -hmm. And how do you know that that bottle is not made from like recycled exoskeleton of <laughs> yeah. crawdads and prawn? It, it's just like that. It's sugar probably, glass, and it just it just dissolves right. as soon as it hits the. Frog. Maybe he yeah. is being uh, ecologically sensitive and uh is is upcycling everything and not only that but on on a uh, on a really personal and uh maybe a more serious note there is a scene in this where bruce wayne jumps in the batmobile i think he's with the flash and they zip off and the the shot just kind of lingers on the highway as the car is riding off into the sunset and it lingers for that extra second so that they can see a billboard about suicide prevention um you know like mm. I, I i don't criticize this film because i want to beat up on Zack snyder like obviously the the stuff that transpired to make this movie into joss whedon's movie and then to remake it into Zack snyder's movie a lot of stuff is like really really tragic and really disappointing and and, and yep. upsetting and in major ways uh for him most of all and his family and i know that like at the end of it they play I believe his daughter's name was Autumn. They play her favorite version of Leonard Cohen's Hallelujah over the credits. Mm -hmm. Like this was as much uh, an expression of catharsis for him as it was yeah. meant for any audience. But I just, I wish there was a bit more clarity to, to, to sort of the message he was trying to send with this thing, because I, I think it, it does come off as like 
overly dark and glowering at points in a way that it just doesn't have to. All right, all right, and we've got to give a shout-out to our other sponsor for this episode, Skillshare. Look, for those of you who have listened to the podcast enough, you know how much we talk about Skillshare. Skillshare is an online community and resource database that connects you with like-minded creatives and that gives you access to rad educational content so that you can learn about illustration, graphic design, photography, uh, UI, UX design, creative writing, animation, fine art, film and video marketing, artivism, all kinds of things. It is essentially designed for creative and curious people, lifelong learners, real working creatives who want to continue to grow in their creative pursuits. Their classes are really short. Most of them are under 60 minutes long. I mean, they know people are busy. They don't have time to sit there and take like a five-hour-long seminar. So they get straight to the point and they give you the tools that you need so that you can start creating the rad content that you want to create. I've been doing a lot of video editing for the relaunch of my YouTube channel, as I've talked about a few times here, and it's been a few years since I actually worked as a professional editor, so it's been really nice to brush up on editing skills by using some of the classes that Skillshare offer. So that's just one of the things that's really been great for me. So if you're looking to create content, whether it's for Instagram or whether it's for YouTube or some other outlet or for some other purpose, they have all kinds of resources that you can draw from so that you can really enhance your skills. So if you're interested in taking advantage of what Skillshare has to offer, you can get a two-week free trial by using our unique promo link that we're going to provide below, or you can go to Skillshare.com slash SMTM. That's Skillshare.com slash SMTM, or click a link in the show notes, and you'll get access to that two-week free trial of the premium membership. Now back to the show. Okay, so then let's close on this. Josh and Rashawn will give you the final word. What is a superhero film? Why do we love them? And what makes one special? Oh, man. That's a tall order. Yeah. Yeah. Any of those questions, I guess you can you can tackle. Like, yeah. yeah. I think I'm just going to start talking and we'll see what happens. <laughs> <when we go>. <laughs> <laughs> so I think what makes a superhero film, at least for maybe the doughy-eyed comic book lover like me and a lot of other people, is sort of the these ideals that I think Justice League really tried to touch on a lot is like teamwork doing what's right. And I think it's sort of this personification of that. And if you can add a cool fight scene in the middle of it, that's awesome. <laughs> that's even better. That's just, that's, that's the chips next to the hearty meal, I think. And I think that's why both of those things are why a good superhero movie is so beloved. I think it teaches us, especially take Chris Evans, Captain America. He is almost always doing what's right no matter what, whether it's for the detriment of him, his loved ones, whatever, he's doing what he believes is the best possible thing, is the most right thing to do. And then you're going to see him kick ass while he does it. So I I think to, to that point, nowadays with this Marvel machine that's been created in these connected universes, why we love them is equal parts seeing what's right and the connection I think I think we're seeing these we're connecting with these characters and what this is why Endgame broke all the records that it did is we're finally getting to see all these characters we've connected with we love work together and and sort of ultimately sorry Rashawn I'm going to steal your analogy for my for mine you get to see you get to see what happens if you have enough money to buy every action figure and put it all together <laughs> and 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 play 
in the ultimate sandbox. And I think it's, uh, I know I pretty much gave three answers for one, but I think that's kind of what it is, is it's, we get to see the best in ourselves or what we think is the best, this connection we Mm. have, these characters, and we get some eye candy while doing Mm. it. That's pretty lovely. What about you, Rashawn? What do you think? Yeah, I, I think comic book movies or, or superhero movies, it's about us kind of projecting our beliefs and our fantasies and, and, and our imaginations onto these people who are greater than. I, I'll show up for any superhero movie. I mean, Elektra, Daredevil. Like, there's this Robert Townsend movie called Meteor Man. Um, blank man with Damon Wayans. Yeah. I mean, blank man. <laughs> I will watch a comic book yeah. movie, and I think it's just about like iconography. If you can relate, or you can kind of put yourself onto this person in a cape and tights, and you can say, "Oh yeah, if I was that person, I would do I would do as good as they were doing, or I would make the right choices that they make." And mm. you kind of get to live out your biggest imaginations on a larger canvas and a bigger scope so good or bad mess in between i'm I'm always down well i think on that note we could we we can kick it over to raymond for the final word and then we'll go ahead and probably uh no it's 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 i figure we we should wrap it up here at this point i mean that was such a lovely aspirational kind of button to put on it raymond raymond go ahead give us give us your final thoughts here um i think that the the trend of contemporary superhero films weirdly cannot be, and this is going to sound a lot less hopeful at first, it can't be separated from 9-11, weirdly. Like, there are so many superhero movies that end or uh, or climax in the uh, the total devastation of a major metropolitan area in a way that often, like, kind of grotesquely, in my opinion, sort of trades on our familiarity with that imagery from our real lives, Um without any sort of reflection on the human cost of it. Um, But what I think makes a great superhero movie is not like all the wham-bam-pow that you get from those big destructive scenes. What I think makes a great superhero movie is what kind of makes a great superhero. And I I know that a lot of folks think that Superman is really boring, but what I sort of love about Superman is that he's a perfect person in an imperfect world, and his, his superpower is just decency among all of these other incredible abilities, like it is as much his responsibility to triage what is most important and and be wherever he is most needed. And he can be anywhere, but he can't be everywhere. And that's kind of the tragedy of a great superhero is that there's never going to be enough of them. And I think that's a lot of what is so appealing about these movies for us now is that we, we live in troubled times. Um, I, I think that's reflected in... Uh, of the news cycle since September 11th, 2001. And I think that people want heroes. People want folks who will rise to the occasion and who will use their incredible power, but with a sense of decency and uh, and, and will wield it responsibly. Uh, Austin, you mentioned, uh, I I think one of the the best superhero movies still is uh, the first couple Spider-Man movies with Tobey Maguire. Um, And we all know with great power comes great responsibility. And I think one of the things that rings a little bit hollow for the DC universe is that there's a lot of great power, but uh, just not a whole lot of responsibility behind it. So I don't know. 
Those are my Interesting. Thoughts. Yeah, the last thing I'll say is I'm not the biggest uh, Ayn Rand fan, obviously. I've actually debated uh, Ankar Gatte on a podcast who's like one of the heads of the Rand, uh, like the Rand Institute or whatever the heck it is. I can't remember what it's called right now. Um, but uh, so I've actually debated him on Rand's philosophy. But I will say this. One of the things that I get what Snyder is doing here is precisely this, is we do want to think about the large individual, the individual that can overcome his or her circumstances or their circumstances. And I think that what uh, Snyder really does here is he gives us a group of individuals who are transcending their limitations to come together for something bigger. And I think that there is something lovely about that, right? And I think the history of Hollywood cinema has always figured um, or has always, let's say, um, centered on large individuals doing extraordinary or despicable things, right? Overcoming weaknesses, transcending limitations. And that can lead to some really interesting stories and then maybe some not so interesting stories. Um, but I think there's at least something really interesting in that aspirational motif. And I do find that kind of fun uh, with the whole superhero genre. So that's the last thing I'll say. Gentlemen, please plug your show. Where can people find you on the internet before we sign off? Rashawn, so you, you know the spiel, Rashawn. You hit it. <laughs> yeah, uh, find us on um, Instagram, Twitter, at Cinephile Attack. Uh, we're available on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio. When Cinephiles Attack, uh, we just did Charlie's Angels Full Throttle. I got jumped. Speaking of superhero Speaking movies. Speaking of superhero movies. <laughs> <laughs> um, I got jumped on that episode. It's okay. Um, yeah, check us out. <laughs> we love each other. We love to fight. It, it's a really good time. But thank you guys for having us on. Amazing. Thank you. Yeah, of yeah. course. Yeah, thank you guys for joining us. Yeah, it made this conversation so much richer, I think, because because uh, I'm not the biggest uh, superhero like film lover, and so it's always good to kind of get a more robust perspective from somebody who's a little bit more tapped into that world. So thank you so much for bringing it. And then Raymond, where can people find you on the internet? Uh, as always, you can find me on uh, Twitter and Letterboxd at Crematoria. Um, uh, don't don't. Tell me that I'm bad if I didn't like this movie. I don't. I, I didn't. I didn't fucking get on the microphone today to kick a fucking hornet's nest. I don't have a five-hour version of this movie to release. You'll gain nothing from bullying me. Leave me alone. Yeah, and if you want, you can find me on Twitter, Austin underscore Hayden, Insta A U S underscore H A Y. You can always check out my YouTube channel. Um, that's pretty much it. Of course, we'll be back in whenever it is that we're going to be back. I'm not exactly sure what film we're going to be doing, but you know it's going to be spicy like a meatball. So, Raymond, send us out. Oh, goodbye from uh, whatever that fucking thing was on the ground, the, ant- the anti-life equation, whatever. He got it.